up ba family and welcome to another episode of the breathing air podcast where everyday action meets extraordinary mindset i'm your host mason bendigo and thank you all for tuning in to another episode this is week 11 the weeks have flown by and i thank you all so much for continuing to show love and show support for anyone who is tuning in for the first time welcome to the journey i'm so happy to have y'all Today, we have a nomad, someone who has been a lot of places, seen a lot of things, someone who has lived out of a van for the last couple of years and currently still is, an avid traveler, someone who has a unique mindset and a unique outlook on life, a rock climber, a surfer, someone who has seen and done a lot of things, Clint Sanderson. I know that y'all will enjoy him and his perspective on life and his stories. Thank y'all so much. Comment, like, subscribe, share with friends if y'all are enjoying. Without further ado, Clint Sanderson. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Breathing Air Podcast, where everyday action meets extraordinary mindset. Today, we have a special guest. Uh, This guy has been all over the U.S., all over the world. Uh, He's a travel outdoor enthusiast, mountain climber, skydiver, and just a free spirit, my cousin, Clint Sanderson. What's up, brother? Hey, man. How's it going? Good, good. So you're out out in L.A. right now, huh? Yeah, hanging out down in California, uh, just south of L.A., waiting for all this quarantine stuff to finish up. Yeah, so and your cousin or your brother, my cousin Carter's down there too, living there. So I'm sure that's a nice little hot. It's a good place to be quarantined if you were to be quarantined. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. Sunny in '75, I'll take it. That's right. So what you been doing? Hanging out, hitting hitting the surf. Yeah, I've been here for about a week or two, maybe maybe two weeks now. Um, just been going out surfing every day, diving. Um, starting to get into that a little bit, a little bit of free diving. Um, and just hanging out. Water's nice and warm down here. I just came from Washington where it was freezing cold. So this water down here feels like bath water to me. Yeah. I I went to the lake the other day and we jumped in and it was freezing. It had to be probably like 50 degrees. It was yeah. considered cold tub temperature. Yeah, nice. There you go. <laughs> how how is the water though when you're down there? Are you are you is it pretty clear? I'm sure it's pretty clear. Um, some spots are a little murky, but there are a few good little spots close by that super clear. You can see, you know, from the rock, you can see 20 feet down to the bottom. Um, and it's, yeah, really clear, warm. It's just perfect, man. It's perfect. You recently got the haircut. I see you had the long hair there for a while. Yeah. I chopped it all off. Actually, uh, donated it this past year. Um, like. 20 inches or something like that yeah when i say long people it was long it was a uh, cap captain jack sparrow <laughs> on there 
<laughs> yeah, it was long for sure. Okay. Like that, but that's awesome. That's a good cause, though. That you were able to, you know, at least put it to something. Yeah. That's a good cause for sure. Do you miss it? Um, sometimes I don't know. It's interesting. I do feel like less people are like, or people are like less friendly now that I have short hair. If like when I have long hair, everyone was like, "Hey, what's up, man? Like, how you doing?" Yeah, it's they like, like wanted to talk. <laughs> they're like this guy must be cool he's got super long hair (laughs) do you feel like any personality change whenever you cut it because i feel like my buddy had long hair too and then he cut it and he was like i don't know i feel kind of different now (laughs) uh maybe no i'm no not at all (laughs) that's funny well let's just start from let's start from the jump so Tell everybody a little bit about, you know, what it was like growing up, where you're from, family, all that good stuff. Yeah, okay. Um, so I was born out in Colorado, actually. Um, didn't spend much time there. After that, we went down to Alabama, and then majority of the time was spent down in Tennessee. Uh, grew up there. Dad was a basketball coach. Mom stayed at home with us, took care of the kids. We got three brothers, so she had a full-time job taking care of all of us. Absolutely. Yeah, you saw. Um, so, yeah, I grew up down in Tennessee playing basketball. Dad was coaching basketball, going to school just like every other kid. Uh, basketball, like something that obviously it was a family thing. Was it something oh. like, I love this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was every day, all the time. Grew up doing that. Summer camps. Went to like eight every week. Was at a different summer camp playing ball. On Christmas Day, we'd open presents put our presents away, go play ball, and then come back and play with their presents. So, yeah, absolutely loved it. Did it all the time. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. Yeah, I have, I have great memories coming up there and just, you know, being with the guys, going to camp. Camp is always fun. Just That's where I learned all my fundamentals out at Lipscomb University, where your dad coached for so long. Uh, yeah. it's, it's always a good time. And he's at Henderson, right, Henderson? Faulkner. No, he's at Faulkner in our, uh, Montgomery, Alabama now. Montgomery. Out in Faulkner. That's awesome. So you started with basketball and then, you know, basketball family, and then you started forming kind of like your own identity. So how did, when did this start coming about? Um, so I think it was like eighth grade year. I was getting really serious in the basketball and I even held myself back in eighth grade just to grow. Um, Cause I was super short and still am to this day. The, the growing plan never worked out. It never <laughs> happened for me. Um, but stayed back in eighth grade to try to get a little bit better at basketball and hopefully grow. And then it was that year. Um, God, I don't know if like eight years ago, 10 years ago, I have no idea how long ago that was, but it was that year. I uh, was actually out hunting with some buddies and flipped a four wheeler and cracked two ribs and collapsed the lung and ended up in the hospital for a couple of days and missed that entire second eighth grade year season of basketball and so it was during that time that I kind of because before then I never did anything else like it was basketball basketball and more basketball that was it it was never it was never no there was nothing else I hunted a little bit but not much um so it was during all of that that I I got out of basketball started doing other things um and that actually when I kind of found out about the military and started having thoughts and ideas about going that direction like oh oh, you know if basketball doesn't work out if I can't get things back on track what am I going to do because I you know I had no other plan it was basketball it was it was go to high school play ball go to college for scholarship and play ball go to the NBA play ball yeah retire and like 
commentate <laughs> on basketball. <laughs> that was the plan. I had no other, hadn't even thought about a second plan. So it was during all that when I kind of started looking for other things just in case. Yeah. And what about like, what about the military kind of sparked your eye where you're like, man, this is something I might be into. Uh, I actually met a guy who was a Marine um, and just hearing his talks and conversations about it and how much it meant to him and how much of a purpose that he felt from it. Um, I was like, man, that's really cool. Like, cause basketball, you know, it was, it was about me and it was about making money <laughs> and being rich and having a big stinking house. That was, you know, but then just like a different light, you know, like military, it's not about you so much. Um, for some reason, just in my mind, I mean, I'm sure anyone can agree to this, but it just seemed like a greater purpose, you know, seemed more fulfilling maybe to get, yeah. to get something out of it that way. Um, no, absolutely. And it's, it's crazy that sometimes a injury or something like that has to happen. So you can kind of be like, whoa, maybe this isn't, a life thing like maybe I need to maybe I need to look at some other options here so right. the very thing happened and then you had some health complications I know that kind of stifled that plan a little bit so if you want to tell us a little bit about that yeah so actually um, on my 17th birthday I left home went up to Virginia um, I enrolled myself into a military academy Fort Union military academy from Virginia um, and moved up there and was up there doing that for about two months and loved it oh love it now. I'm glad I went. <laughs> Maybe not the time, but um, was doing that and just loved the structure of it, loved the discipline of it. The focus of it was great. I actually got really strong up there. Um, went from like 150 to 165, 3% body fat in like four months. Yeah. Just really intense and absolutely loved every second of it. But um, we were working out one day and just my arm just like went numb and just turned completely like black and blue down the shoulder. And I was like, Sergeant, I don't think this is normal. Like my arms like completely black and blue and swollen and bruised. Um, turned out I had like the muscle in the rib and my shoulder had pinched off the vein. It's called a uh, thoracic outlet syndrome. Uh, so no blood could get in or out of my arm. It completely just closed it off. So they had to go in um remove the rib create some space um and the artery was so damaged that they had to go into my leg and pull an artery out of my leg and repay, replace the one on my shoulder it was like a 15 day ordeal um tried to keep it from my parents at first tried to not tell them about it and it was like no i don't tell them about it just like let's just fix this and get back to it but then after a while, after like we found out that how serious it was they were like you know, you're only 17. So we kind of have to tell your parents. So your mom's on her way up here. And I was like, Oh no, no. And she was going to flip out. Just absolutely freak. But, but yeah, so 15 days in the hospital and just, that was the end of that. <laughs> and then another injury, you know, um, the military was like, you know, we can't little liability issue. Um, maybe try again in a couple of years. We'll see what happens. And, so yeah, that was the end of that chapter. They know what's how that's what's that stemmed from? Was it you know so, going to happen or? It was it was from working out too much. So it's apparently it's very common um, in lumberjacks and baseball players, and also the doctor said skinny white women. But I leave that one out all the time. <laughs> that's a 
those are the closest to the skinny white women. Yeah, the skinny white women might have been what caused it. I don't know. Um, apparently, it's like an overuse of the shoulder muscle. You overdevelop the muscle. Um, and it's just, for some reason, your anatomy is a little different. And there's just not enough space up there for everything to sit. And so they had to pull that rib out. Um, mm. Yeah. That'd be nice and painful. It was. And I was throwing up after it for a couple of days. And like all the pain meds I could take were by mouth i was throwing them up so i couldn't take any pain meds and you can talk to my mom about that that was i had some colorful language one of those nights i was in a lot, a lot of pain for sure yeah i'm pretty sure that one of the first times maybe not the first but one of the first times my parents heard me say the f-bomb was <laughs> when i uh dislocated my shoulder the second time i had done it the week before in football i was a junior in high school and i did it again the next week and they couldn't pop it back into socket that time so it was just out and just sitting out. And for anyone that's ever dislocated a shoulder before knows that like when it's out of socket, it's the most painful thing ever. And it was out of socket for like over an hour from the field to the drive to the hospital. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, ah, like just <laughs> bombs. And my mom's like, Mason, I'm like, you don't know how bad this hurts. Like, but oh, those, those injuries will come bite you in the butt. So yeah. What's the, what was the rehab like for that? Um, a lot of physical therapy, just trying to get mobility back. First, it was like immobilize it, let that all heal up. They did a lot of stuff to it. They did three or four surgeries on it because um, they replaced the artery in there, but then it collapsed again, so they had to go back in um, and just keep working on it. So it, at, for, at first, it was just stay still, don't rip anything back open that we cut open in there. And then – it was months of just physical therapy, trying to get mobility back in that arm. Um, and I caught it super late, apparently in the process. Apparently it had been blocked off for about eight to nine months, they said. Wow. So the, so the damage down my arm was a lot more extensive too. They had to replace a huge portion of the vein or the artery, whatever it was. Um, so yeah, it took several months just to get my arm to be like able to lift it past my head. What are you thinking during all this time? Like as you're rehabbing and stuff, you're 17 years old. Like what's going through your mind at this time? Oh, I better start studying and get smart. <laughs> like keep breaking everything. <laughs> I better get a good job sitting on a computer or something. I don't know. Yeah. Your body's like, oh, I don't know. You may need to think about a different occupation here, buddy. Yeah. Basketball was seemed to be out. Military was definitely out at that point. It was like, okay, what's option C now? <laughs> Does it give you any complications now or are you pretty back to normal? No, no, it's back to normal. Although I did, I did do it again to the opposite shoulder. Um, wow. Maybe four years ago now. Um, did that while climbing. But I caught that like really quick. We can talk about that later, but caught it fast. And it was like a one month thing and that was it. Like, yeah. So that's a, that's a good trigger point into this next kind of segment you're getting through all of you know these things these injuries and then you get out of it and what's what's going through your mind like what was the next step once you get out of this rehab and you're kind of back to normal yeah so honestly I was pretty lost with all of it didn't really know what to do because the plan was always basketball I know there was never even thought of trying to think of a second plan it's <laughs> just let's go play ball yeah um and then finally the military was the second plan. And then when that was over, it's like, what now? <laughs> like the plan was to go to college and get a business degree like everybody else and then go play basketball. Just get something 
whatever, get through it and be done. Um, so after that, I was like, I don't, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what, what I even want to go to college for. Cause now I'm thinking, you know, I, I actually have to use my degree. So maybe I should get something that I want instead of just whatever, so I can play ball. Um, so I went to Harding University in Arkansas, um, Searcy, Arkansas, a small little Christian school down there. And right before I left, I had met a girl. Uh, so like that was a whole thing. Um, but went to school in Arkansas, had a double major in business management and accounting. Growing up, I hated school, like every kid. You know, I didn't didn't want to go, never was always late to class, didn't get out of bed in the morning, just no, I, I got out of bed, but like I would go play basketball or I'd go do something else. Like I didn't never want to go to school. Um, and that didn't change in college one bit. Like I'd wake up in the morning and be like, no, I don't think I really want to go to school or to class today. And my mom wasn't there to make me. So, you know, <laughs> I'm going hiking or I'm going fishing. So was never in school, was never in class. And then and, um, every weekend I had to go back to Tennessee to see the girl I was with um, and ended up second semester moving back to Tennessee to be with her. Um, went to school at Lipscomb second semester there. And same thing, didn't go to class, was hanging out with her, was, was going hiking. Um, hadn't found climbing at this point, but it was just doing everything but going to class. Right. Um, and then my family decided they were moving to Alabama. My dad got a new job um, because they lived just on the road from where I was going to school. And I had decided to take just a semester off, take, take six months, take a semester off figure out what it is I'm passionate about again, figure out what it is I want to work for, what I want to do. Because I realized, you know, I'm going to school paying a lot of money for this and I haven't gone to class in 20 days. <laughs> like it wasn't just like I skipped here and there. It was like I skipped and would go out of town for like a week. <laughs> just wouldn't go at all. Um, so I just had to take a semester off. My family was moving to Alabama. They're like, you know, come with us to Alabama. And love Alabama you know roll tide absolutely but other than that there's not much to do down there uh, so I was like not having it not going to Alabama and I just moved back to Tennessee to be with the girl I was with so I wasn't fixing to leave her again um, and then so right before that semester started she broke up with me and was like hey I'm actually going to Patagonia for the semester wow and I was like oh sweet thanks for the heads up when do you leave she's like tomorrow i was like cool <laughs> cool wow sweet so now like i my family's gone you're splitting also i had bought a german shepherd at this point dumb idea just whatever <laughs> um and just had no idea what to do yeah um i want working for bad, but you want one i want one but i'm just like the same you said dumb idea and i know why because it's a responsibility a big risk. It's like having a kid. Yeah. And especially, especially one that big. Yeah. It's a big kid. Hungry. <laughs> Hungry kid. <laughs> For sure. Um, but yeah, so I had him. And so with the German Shepherd, you can't rent an apartment anywhere because it's an aggressive dog breed. No one's going to let you rent. Yeah. Trying to find a house that's cool with the German Shepherd being there is hard to do. Um, and I was working part-time at Home Depot in the lumber section, just doing that, just to make a little bit of money. And for a bit there, I was just kind of bouncing around from place to place, in people's houses, um, sleeping in the back of my Jeep, just because I didn't, when I didn't have somewhere to go. Mm -hmm. 
which was not at all like that ended up going a whole different direction we'll talk about that sleeping in my car and i told <laughs> I, thought, I thought i thought you know i'm just trying to find a place i'll sleep in the car for right now no big deal i'll be done with this pretty soon um but then ended up getting a job at a climbing gym never had like i've gone climbing one time maybe at the gym i was like this is cool and then went again i was like this is so sick like i really want to do this and then i was out west and saw the grand tetons i was like oh i want to climb that okay well i gotta learn how to climb what if i just get a job at that climbing gym back in nashville i'll do that and then i'll go climb the grand teton that was like the thought it was no like oh i'm, I'm gonna become a climber it's just no i want to go hike this thing and i found out that you had to know how to climb so i went and got a job there and about a month into that, maybe three months after my family had left, um, a buddy of mine was like, hey, why don't you just buy a van instead of your Jeep and like sleep in a van? And I was like, what are you talking about? What do you mean sleep in a van? No. And this was like before it was cool, you know, van life, Instagram, all that stuff was a thing. This is like five years ago now at this point. And I was like, no, live in a van. What the heck? No way. He's like, well, I'm doing it. You should like get a van, build it out together. So that's what we did. We both we both bought vans. I think I bought my first van for like a thousand dollars. Put a little platform in there, threw a bed in there, threw my dog in there, and started living out of a van and climbing. <laughs> and yeah, that's kind of what started that, and that just completely spiraled from there. Just took off. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, that... so this just crazy idea of. Hey, I'm going to live in my van and this guy that you met, did y'all start just going around places and hiking or like, where would you park that thing? Yeah. So I met him at the climbing gym and it wasn't even an idea. It was like, I'm out of options. Like I got this dog. I don't know where to go. I'm sleeping in the Jeep and this sucks. Like trying to sleep with all your stuff and a full size German shepherd in the back of a Jeep every night. Just like, Oh man, this is, this is ridiculous. This is so difficult. Like, and trying to cook food and keep food in there too and like live full time and i was like this is i, I gotta find a place Did you just have one of those I mean, burners or yeah it's like a little camp stove i would cook on i'd pop the trunk open and just cook up some ramen noodles it's <laughs> super simple stuff um but yeah my buddy akshay i uh, met him at the climbing gym um he's from india he's like you just buy a van man it's like I, I was out west i saw some guy doing it out west you should totally totally do it we should do, we should do it and so, yeah, we just bought vans and moved in and we parked. So at first we parked behind the gym uh, that we were working at. They didn't seem to care. Um, and that's what we stayed most of the time until they were like, yeah, we can't have you guys sleeping in the parking lot. <laughs> um, and so then it was just, you know, random streets, side of the road somewhere just for the night. Walmart parking lot was awesome. <laughs> um, truck stops, well, you know, you name it, stuff like that. So we kind of slept. Did you have any crazy nights or experiences where you're like sleeping in the van? Like someone come oh, I've had several. Yeah, I've had several. Um, back in Tennessee, I, you know, when I first did, started living in the van, I was like, maybe it's hitting the safest idea. Am I, like, I didn't tell my family at first. I didn't tell them. I just took the van home one day with me. My dad was like, what in the world is that thing? Because it, it was a junker. It was a total just. 1992 GMC Bandura and it was like all beat up just like crimson red color and it just looked rough but it ran that's, that's why I bought it and it was cheap so I bought it for that reason and then 
I just accepted the fact that it was gross and nasty and kind of grungy. And so I put shag carpet down just to kind of add to the, add to the effect. Cause why not? <laughs> and yeah, when my dad saw it, he was like, dude, what, like, what are you doing? What is this thing? Like, yeah, this is where I live. This is, this is awesome. This is it. Yeah. So what was, what, what did they think you were doing in that window where you're like living out of the van were they or sleeping in the jeep like did they think that you were staying with someone or did they know or did you keep that well i was i was staying a little bit with my buddy named andrew i was staying with him a good bit um sleeping in the because he was kind of living out a little further from where i was working so every now and then i just sleep in the jeep but was going to his place every now and then um and they thought i was just there all the time full time with andrew living at his place um yeah, I didn't really tell him about the van. They just they saw it one day, and then my dad flipped. And he's like, that's a Friday night light skit. No one actually does that in a van down by a river. Yeah, they weren't, they weren't thrilled on it at all at first. So what's, yeah. like one, of the, what's one of the crazy stories that, you know, ha- like, did you have any? I'm sure you do. Oh, right, right. Sorry, I lost that thought. Um, yeah, so when I first started doing it, I was like, this isn't probably the safest idea. My parents kind of freaked me out once they found out. And my mom was like, you need to, like, you need to carry. You need to have a gun on you or something. And so I was like, okay, fine. Like, I'll get a gun. I'll get my carry permit. And so I had that. Um, and living in a van in Tennessee is miserable in the summertime because for those of you, anyone that lives in the southeast knows that it's in the summertime down there. It's like 90 degrees, it's like 80 to 90% humidity, and you just – even if you're sitting outside, you sweat. So having the van parked outside all day, the car just bakes all day long. And you go in at night to sleep and it's just like a thousand degrees warmer. So and you just sweat all night long and it's just disgusting <laughs> and you hate it. Um, so there was one night I was so sick of it. And I was like, you know what, that's it. So I just opened the side doors. Cause like, it's just too hot. I can't, I'm sweating bullets. It's just gross. And so I opened the side doors and around like three o'clock in the morning, I just hear weird noises, but you always hear weird noises when you're living in a van on the side of the road. But for some reason that night, I'm like, this is even extra weird. And I wake up and there's like, there's three guys walking over towards the van. And they're like, I see them, I can hear them. And they're like whispering to each other. Hey, is anybody in there? Can you see anybody? No, I don't see anybody. Okay, okay. Can you see anything in the, in the van? No, I don't see anything. Okay, let's go over there and let's find out. Like they're like whispering to each other and I'm hearing it all. Uh, and I didn't have my dog with me at this point or at, this point yeah i had moved in with my mom um and so like i saw them kind of like creeping over the van so i just rolled over and grabbed my pistol and just like racked around really really loud and as soon as they heard me do that they just oh shit and they like turned around and just bolted out of there um and just i mean i've never seen people run so fast in my entire life they're like oh no (laughs) yeah like oh no it's crazy white dude in the van's got a gun (laughs) get out (laughs) I guess it wasn't uh, get that permit then. Yeah, yeah, I guess it wasn't the worst idea. Um, so yeah, that was one. What was weird the process going through all that? Were you like, I'm gonna live in the van for this long or that long, and or was it just kind of like, hey, I'm going with the flow here. This is my situation. Yeah, it was kind of like, you know, I, I don't know what to do. I had the German Shepherd. Um, this is just kind of the way things are right now. And this is just what I'm doing. Um, and then once I got rid of the dog, I was like, maybe I should get an apartment now, maybe get a place now that he's down with my mom. Um, but just, I actually kind of loved it. 
Like, it, there were parts that really did suck and parts that still do really suck. Uh, it's not all fun like it looks on Instagram. It's mostly fun, but it's not all fun. Um, but just really started enjoying it. And was like, you know, because, like, for a minute there, my bills not paying rent was, like, I was living off four to 500 bucks a month. Like, I had no expenses. And, like, yeah, as a 20-year-old kid, making money and being able to put a bunch of it away and save a bunch of it and only living off $500. I was like psyched on it. To me, that was a lot of money. Like I was like, this is sweet. Like I'm saving money. Only living on 500 bucks a month. I'm eating a lot of ramen noodles, but <laughs> yeah, it was nice. Um, and I was traveling quite a bit. So I stayed in Tennessee for a while with the van, just traveling around Tennessee. Um, and occasionally I'd go, you know, travel outside, but still like, and I didn't grow up traveling. It wasn't, that wasn't a thing. We went down to the beach in Alabama, but that was it. My dad isn't big into traveling or hiking or leaving the house or anything except for golfing. So we didn't do much. I never had done it before. Um, but yeah, I was just like, you know, this is just what I'm doing. And then ended up really loving it. So where are you, where are some of the first places you started traveling? You had this experience with mountain climbing and you're like, okay, I want to put this to use. Is that kind of how it came about? Yeah, so I started climbing indoors, um, and then about three months after climbing indoors, I was like, this is sick. I want to, like, make more money doing doing this, so I became a guide. Um, just like everything else I did, I dove headfirst into it right away and started teaching inside. And like, I want to climb outside, and I want to guide outside. So I started going outside places in Tennessee. And then the first big trip I took, a friend and I drove – all day from Nashville all the way out to Boulder, Colorado um, to go climbing. And that was like the first big trip in the van. Not sure what, what we're going to do, where we're going to sleep. You know, Cause I had my spots mapped out in Tennessee, um, like where I could sleep, buddies places here and there. But yeah, Colorado was the first big trip and it's, it was amazing. You know, back, back home for me where I was born. So it was, it was good. Yeah, that's kind of crazy how it came full circle from, you know, yeah. <laughs> and then it's like first big trip in the van. You're in Colorado. So where in Colorado did y'all go? Went to Boulder. Um, I've got uh, family friend things out there. Um, stayed with them. Went up to like the Flatirons area, a place called El Dorado Canyon State Park. Climbed up in there a little bit. Um, Mainly just right there, Denver Boulder, that little front range section. Spent a lot of time climbing in there, hanging out, meeting weirdos. <laughs> That's another thing, too. Living in the van, I've met a bunch of unique people, a bunch of awesome people. Um, but yeah, climb there. We did this. We did the, if you've ever seen the Boulder uh, skyline, you see the, you see the flat irons in the background. It's the three main little rocks there. We climbed, climbed that thing. One of the biggest things I had climbed at, at that point. And was like, this is it. Like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to travel around and just climb all the rocks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So are you doing like free climbing stuff or was it with harnesses and. So, yeah, so free, so free climbing. Yeah. So stop me too. If I use any vocabulary or like any climbing slang, that's like, what is that? Stop me. I'll explain it. Um, so free climbing is you're using your hands and feet, but you're attached to the rope uh, and you have a harness on as well. Okay. And free so free soloing is where you have no gear at all. You're just climbing, and if you fall, that's it. Oh, you're, you know. <laughs> um, and at that point, no, I was not doing any 
any free soloing. I was definitely always using gear. And if my mom asks, I still always use gear. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so at that point, it's just, it was still using gear and stuff. Yeah. So how, like, so does, do you put it at the top of the mountain or at the top of, how are you doing that while you're going? If you're doing it, right, okay. how does that work? So there's there are two types of climbing, the sport climbing, and then there's traditional climbing or trad climbing. Sport climbing, someone has someone else has already gone up and drilled like little bolt eye bolts into the rock, and so you clip to that as you go, um, and that's your protection. And if you fall, you fall back to that last piece, and it's drilled, bolted into the rock, super secure. Um, and then traditional climbing or trad climbing, you have what's called a cam or little nuts, little little brass squares that you wedge in the cracks into the rock, or you, and then cams are like little mechanical contraptions. You squeeze it and it's like a round head and it closes up. You put it into the rock and it expands. And any downward pressure on it puts outward pressure on the cams and it stays in the rock. Or so you hope, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you clip to that and then go up that way. So you don't go to the top first. You start at the bottom and work your way up. Have you ever had any scary complications with those things? Because I don't know, it doesn't sound too secure to me. <laughs> um it is i mean it is secure it, but like it's secure but um there are times like when the rock's not secure and i've been on climbs before where it's just a blank face and for some reason no one put a bolt in and there's nowhere to put any trad gear any any cams or nuts and so yeah you're just your next 40 feet you've got to you know you, you put a piece in but in the next 40 feet there is no gear so if you fall you're falling 80 feet so 40 feet to the left, because you're 40 feet past the gear, you're falling 40 feet past it, and then 40 feet below it, and then whatever, like the rope will stretch, you'll probably yank the person on the other, other end of the rope up, drop even more. So you're looking at like an 80 to 100 foot fall. Um, I've been in a few of those situations where it's just, there's nowhere for gear, and I've been in spots too where, you know, this route was so long, and I got sketched out down there and put a lot of gear, and now I'm still got 60, 70 more feet to go. And I've got two pieces of gear and they may or may not fit because the crack, cracks vary, you know, and you, you don't really know. So you have a bunch of different sizes. Well, if you've already used them before, which there have been times where I have, you, you've just got nothing. So you just gotta like, it's a, it's yeah. a mental game. Right, yeah, absolutely. Are you always climbing with a partner? Like you said, there's a partner on the other end or are you sometimes by yourself? Oh yeah, when I'm when I'm doing any of my rope, when I'm using a rope um, and free climbing, yes, I have a partner. When I'm free soloing, no, there's no partner. If I have a partner, I'm gonna use a rope. <laughs> yeah, okay. Because I was watching, I'm sure you've seen it, uh, and I mentioned this before, but I just think it's incredible. Don Wall, mm -hmm. uh, on Netflix, I was watching it. My cousin was, my other cousin on my other side of the family was like, hey, you, you gotta check this out, it's pretty incredible. And it's that uh, face on in Yosemite where yeah. one had ever climbed it. And I can't remember the name of the climber, but he's like one of the top. Tommy, Tommy Caldwell. Yep. Yep. That's who it is. Yeah. And he was doing it with like the partner and sleeping in those tents on the side yeah. mountain. I was, have you done that? I haven't. So I, it's definitely on, on my to-do list. Most of my climbs that I've done, I've done it in a day. I've been able to go up and down or... There's been a few climbs where there's like a small ledge 
like a rocky ledge. So I just clip myself into the wall and step on the ledge, but never on those are called portal ledges. I've never stepped on one of those, but definitely on the to-do list for sure. That just looked crazy to me. Like <laughs> on the side of a mountain and you're just in this tiny little tent. I don't even know how to set those things up. I'm like, that's, that was one of the craziest things to me. And the whole, like, obviously them climbing it is incredible. I think it took them like two weeks, but yeah. The actual like sleeping in those things, I mean, you'd be used to it with the tight spaces, but gosh. Yeah, no, it's cool. It's, I don't know, for me, it sounds awesome. Just wake up and have that view right there and you just halfway up a wall. And I, I love the exposure. That's like one of my favorite part of the climb because when you come around to like a rocky edge and there's just nothing but air beneath you and it's just you and the rock and it's, oh, it's pretty great. <laughs> I love it. There's like that weird combination of adrenaline and dopamine when you're like doing something you love and then it's, you know, kind of like for, for me, like a football game or something, yeah. you, know, you got that adrenaline before a game and you love it and something that you enjoy. So you have that dopamine too. And then the combination of those two is a beautiful thing. I'm sure that is what climbing is. <laughs> yeah, it is. But it's also like a, it's different in the fact that you have to like keep it under control as well because like the consequences if you like let that overwhelm you and get way too jittered out, like can be serious. So yeah, but yeah it's, it's the same feeling. It's definitely there. You feel it. And when you're done with the climb, it like spikes for sure. <laughs> yeah. So are you doing any type of deep breathing stuff or like, you know, before you, you know, when you're up there and your heart's racing or something, is there times where you have to kind of step back and say, all right, take a deep breath, relax. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. But, like I do a lot of yoga too, so I learned breathing techniques doing that. Um, and actually, I've talked to your mom quite a bit about uh, my aunt about because um, she does yoga about breathing techniques and that kind of stuff, ways to calm calm down. Because that's your only option <laughs> when you're up there. Sometimes it's either calm yourself down or you're gonna fall. Yeah. So, so yeah, I definitely do some breathing techniques um, to relax calm down on the wall um and then you know, keep climbing yeah how has yoga helped i'm sure with the flexibility and stuff flexibility some climbs require like awkward positions or high feet um definitely help with the breathing techniques you know getting a hard yoga pose and then being able to relax your body into it same thing goes into climbing you're in a weird or awkward position and you're really high up and you're scared a little bit too so being able to calm yourself down and having the flexibility knowing, knowing okay i got a high foot but i can get my foot up there and use it so right. what kind of what kind of breathing techniques have you been doing that you like um just honestly i don't know the names of them there's just certain you, know, you breathe through your nose and out through your nose but you kind of push with your mouth a little bit um i don't know the technical names of it i'm not an expert by any means but there's just certain certain ones that like really calm you down. Um, and it, it honestly just makes you more aware of your breath. You know, doing yoga makes you more aware of, of your breathing. It makes you, makes you more aware of your heart rate. And you can kind of use that in climbing. Okay, like, relax for a second. Okay, like check in with your body. You know, what am I feeling right now? I'm super stressed out. Why am I stressed out? Okay, I, I know I gotta calm down. Um, and they can be used, you know, anywhere in life. And it doesn't have to be just climbing, you know, being able to like internalize and realize, okay, I'm stressed out right now. Why? How do I calm that down? How do I turn that off? 
um, and identifying fear and that kind of stuff. Um, that's kind of uh, absolutely. There was this one technique that I really liked. Like I said, I'm no no expert in breathing techniques, but one of my old strength coaches would teach us after we did like a heavy, intense workout, we would kind of do some stretching and stuff. And then we would sit there and put our hands on our stomach and lie on our backs and we'd breathe through our nose and out through the mouth, but you'd belly breathe. So you wouldn't let your chest rise. You would just let your stomach rise. So all the air was through the stomach and then out through the mouth. And there's a nerve called the vagus nerve, which gives off, don't quote me on this, but it basically helps the, like your body relax and it lowers your heart rate and it, you know, helps you calm down. And it's good for, you know, if you're in high, high intensity training and your heart rate's really high and you want to kind of get it under control, or if you're just stressed out from a long day and you just got in a fight with your girlfriend and <laughs> chill out before <laughs> up, or you can't, yeah at night or something like that. I use it all the time at night whenever I'm trying to wind down and my head's just all these thoughts or things from the day are going on and I just need to calm down. I'll do that deep breathing through, you know, the stomach and out through the mouth. But speaking of that, I've started doing some meditation stuff at the beginning, a little bit before the beginning of the year. Have you, have you gotten into any any type of like meditation kind of practices with all of this? I've always wanted to, I've never gotten too into it. Um, any of the meditation that I've done has all been like guided meditation. So I'll find like an audio somewhere or I'll go to like a class and they'll have it. Um, personally, I haven't done a whole lot of it just on my own. It's usually right. guided stuff. Yeah. The stuff that I've done is guided too, but I started trying to get off of the guided stuff and listen to just certain like binaural beats or things. I usually only do it before I go to bed to like help me wind down. But I also think it's big for like manifestation stuff. Like when you're in that state of mind and you're super relaxed and the only thing you're thinking about is your breathing and you know, your body is basically shut off and your mind is shut off and you're just kind of there when you can get to that state and you can start thinking about those things. I think it's a good way to, you know, in the day because I think man you know that manifestation stuff is real and it sounds kind of hippy dippy sometimes but <laughs> if you practice it and you get good at it just like anything else you know I think it actually does help a lot with a lot of things no for sure absolutely yeah it's something I definitely want to get more into um and you say hippy dippy I got some of the hippiest friends ever so oh, <laughs> I get it I'm sure a lot of your van friends are incredible at meditation. Oh yeah, absolutely. Meditation, yoga stuff, aerial silk yoga, all that. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, That's super cool. I want to start getting back into yoga more because after football, it was, you know, more heavy lifting and like, I got to put on mass and I got to get bigger, faster, stronger. And all those things are still true. You know, I still love doing that stuff, but I've had two ACL surgeries. Like I told you before, dislocated my shoulder. Like that flexibility would maybe prolong me from having to get a total knee replacement or something along those lines, you know, down the line. So you got to think about those things. No, for sure. Um, and I did a lot of, with my second shoulder injury. I did a lot of yoga um, to help with that because, yeah, you know, you wreck your body and you're done. That's something I've definitely learned. You know, stuff is hard. Everything. 
Yeah, it is. And then you can't do what you love and it's just, you're constantly in pain and it's not fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I have a buddy that's really into hot yoga too. And I've never done one of those classes, but I really want to. I'm just afraid on how bad it's going to whoop my ass because <laughs> I know it's going to. I'm going to be in there just. Oh, yeah. Pinched. Yeah, I've done it once. Um, it's intense. <laughs> it's intense, but it's good. You come out feeling like, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready for today, man. I'm ready to go. Yeah. But yeah. So what's some of your favorite spots that you've, you've been able to travel to? I'm sure, I know I see all the time, you know, you're always on the move with the van. So how long did that stint with the um, climbing company go? And then where did you kind of wander off after that? Yeah, so 27, 2015 is about when I moved into the van. 2016 is when I started doing like more further trips and we've gone for like weeks here and there. And then 2017 is when I, left Tennessee for good. Um, I got a job climbing and repairing cell phone towers. And that was like, work was all over the country. So they would fly me to wherever the work needed to be done. I'd work for 20 days and then they'd fly me wherever my van was. And I'd have 10 days off. Um, so I was able to travel all over because of that, a little even more so. Um, and probably my favorite spots, Moab, Utah, is probably t top of the list. It's, it's bizarre. If you've ever been there, you, you get it, but like anywhere I've gone, I've been able to compare to somewhere else. Like, oh, this place is kind of like that, this place is kind of like that. If I were to compare Moab, it's what I would imagine Mars is like, okay? It's just completely different. It's just, it's a whole nother world. And it's it's like an adult playground. There's climbing, there's base jumping, there's highlining. Um, and base jumping is where you, you just jump off a building or you jump off something that's some structure um, and pull a parachute. And then highlining is um, you have like a loose piece of webbing line going from one point to another and you walk across it. Um, there's like great spots for that there. There's great spots for like kayaking. And there's a bunch of weirdos living down there for sure in the desert, <laughs> just hanging out and then just playing and having a good time, having fun. Um, so yeah, Moab, loving Moab. Um, Santa Cruz over in California. It's probably some of the best. That's where I learned how to surf. I spent, I spent about six months sitting over there learning how to surf. And it's incredible. Um, as long as you don't get in the way of a good surfer. <laughs> they will let you know over there for sure that surf culture there is still strong. And if you mess up someone's wave over there, they'll let you know about it and ask you nicely to leave. <laughs> yeah, like, dude, you just messed up a good opportunity. What Go into surfing a little bit. Like, what... What was the process of learning that? Because I've tried a few times and it is not an easy feat. <laughs> no, it's not. And I'm still, I'm still not great at it or not. I wouldn't even say I'm good at it. Um, I just love it and do it a lot. I, uh, January of 2018. So I guess as soon as the tower job was over, I moved to California and didn't know anyone there. And I still wasn't doing a whole lot of free soloing. So I was like, you know, what do I do? I, I don't have a lot of people to climb with working for REI. I was guiding out there for them. Um, but it was kind of all over the place. I didn't have, I didn't have like one home base of people that I hung out with all the time. And so I was like, well, I don't really have any partners out here to climb with. So, and also like I'm getting my tax return here in a few days. So, you know, what else do you do when you're in California? You surf. So honestly, I just got a board. 
bought a board, bought a wetsuit, and just decided I'm going to go paddle out into the ocean and figure this thing out. Had no idea what I was doing, had no one to teach me about it, and spent about a week drowning basically in the ocean, just getting just getting munched, and just slowly picked it up and met people along the way who knew what they were doing or you know people were out there watching me surf took pity on me like hey i see you're having a hard time with this try this little technique and see see if that works better for you and just i love it just something about surfing man it's just cool like climbing is amazing i love climbing you know but you know that line is always there anyone can go do it but when you're surfing you catch that wave and once that wave is over like that's it like that was your that was your wave and and the fact that like the gravitational pull from the moon creates the water to come up and then the water hits the, the surface what's on the surface and creates that wave like all connecting and like tapping into all of that for me that is just that's unreal it's unreal it just it's a whole different feeling a whole different experience to be a part of that yeah absolutely i remember i think it was 2008 if i'm not mistaken but my dad used to work with a guy by the name of John Alvarez. John's son is Jay Alvarez, for those who don't know. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people know he's quite famous. Um, and we went and visited John and Jay in Hawaii. John at the time was working in a coffee shop. And I remember that he had his surfboard on the back of his Jeep at all times. And yeah. my dad said, hey, John, why do you, why do you have your... Uh, surfboard on there all the time he said well if i'm you know coming home from work and i see a good wave i want to hop in and catch it <laughs> and they lived on a perched up house over, overlooking the north shore which was where all the you know huge waves came and i remember like i'm young 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 i have a picture of me jay and maddie from way back when we're all really little but he had long, long hair and he was super mad that they had started making him wear shoes to school. And, uh, he just looked like a little Tarzan running around. <laughs> he was like, come on, like, let's go down and go to the, go to the ocean. Cause their house set up on the hill and you could climb down these rocks and you could jump into the ocean and kind of swim out. There was a little cave you could swim into just really cool spot. So I'm following Jay and just he's just you know jumping from rocks like his feet are just metal at this point and I'm like, ah, like everything I'm stepping on my feet hurt so bad I'm like dude what is who is this kid and uh so we go and at that time he had just started doing all the video stuff and it's he probably doesn't even know who I am at this point but it was just cool you know seeing how his passion for starting to take pictures and videos and stuff like that then evolved into something huge you know yeah but he i just remember that surfing story remember because john always was just like hey if i'm coming home from work and i need to catch a wave i just pull off and i put the surfboard in <laughs> but that's kind of a that's a great way to live right there that's a great way to live but it's oh, yeah. good so you also recently got into skydiving right and how is that process? Because I know you can't just solo skydive right off the jump. Oh, you can. You, you can. can. You, to you totally can. Well, I guess I guess it depends on where you're at. But where I was, if you want your first jump to be solo, all right. <laughs> but just know what you're getting. They don't recommend it. Like here's your waiver, but you can. Yeah. 
<laughs> here's your waiver, but you can, we don't encourage it, but if you want to sign it, go ahead. But wow, not how I did it. Um, I did my second jump solo. <laughs> okay. That's a yeah, way big difference. Is there a limit on that? Cause I feel like I'm too heavy to, or what I do. You, is there a weight limit? No, it's not, it's, uh, there is for tandem, I think, but so basically the way it works, the, uh, they have different size parachutes, different sizes called a canopy. Um, and it's like weight to square footage ratio is how they do all that. So the heavier you are, the bigger square footage of your canopy needs to be in order to safely do it. Um, so no, anyone could do it. Um, but the process of getting into it. So I went and jumped my first time, did it tandem. I was like, that was cool. But like my adrenaline peaked so high and it was over in like two seconds. And I'm like, did that just happen? Like, I don't even remember any of that. Uh, also how like my first five jumps went. Um, so yeah, I did a tandem jump just to see if I even was into it. And I had a buddy who was really into it who just kept pushing me. His name's Jacob. He's like, bro, you got to go skydiving. Bro, have you, have you gone yet? And like every day would call me, did you go skydiving today? No, I didn't go today. Okay, well, call, I'll call you tomorrow. Ask again. And this was like relentless. And he's like, dude, you've got to go. Because he, he wants to base jump. He wants us to go climb towers in Moab and places like that and then jump off of them and fly back down. So he's like, you got to learn how to skydive first. I don't want to take you base jumping if you can't even skydive. So I was like, okay, so I finally went skydiving. You do like an eight-hour class. Um, and they tell you how to do everything. But that's the thing with skydiving is you can't really practice any of it without just going and doing it. Like that's the only way to practice it. Um, now you can go into those wind tunnels and practice your falling. But like <laughs> the hardest part is, and like the most dangerous part is landing the canopy, land, landing your parachute. And, it could be, and that's what my, my coach told me. He's like, hey, it's like free fall. Don't worry about it. Okay. Like you're fine. Like you can't hit anything. There's nothing for you to hit. So like, don't worry about it. It's like, it's the landing that's really hard. I was like, cool. All right. Good to know. Thanks. Um, and so, yeah, you do your first, I think, four jumps with two guys next to you. And then you do your next three jumps with one guy next to you. Um, and they just have you do different things each jump, different maneuvers, backflip, front flip, spins. Um, what's called tracking that's where you fly across the sky and they have to, you gotta like pass it all so you can fail um different jumps and you gotta redo it and you gotta like know how to pack your parachute and man my first parachute i was packing it and i was so nervous i had like they gave me like the biggest parachute and it had so much like material just like everywhere and lines were like all twisted up everywhere and the coach was like hey drink beer i was like yeah i drink beer but i gotta do this like hang on I was like so focused. He's like, here, drink this. And he hands me a beer and I chug it. He's like, here, now chug this one. He hands me another one and I chug it. He's like, here, now sip on this one and pack your parachute. So I'm like, kind of feeling buzzed, but like I'm packing my first parachute, slightly intoxicated. And I was like, you're watching me, right? He's like, yeah, I wouldn't let you jump it if it's not good. But so I packed it, stowed it all away. He's like, sweet, it's, it's cool. Let's go jump it. And so I jumped my first uh, pack parachute that way. Oh man, probably not the greatest idea. I won't say who it was that did that or where I was, so I don't get anybody in trouble. But, but yeah, the first parachute pack was packed intoxicated and jumped intoxicated as well. And that's, uh, I'm sure that high, like right before you jump off, though, is is it is it just right before you jump off where your heart's about to explode? Yeah, because once you jump, you're like, well, you know, too, I've already done it now. <laughs> too, too late to go back. Um, when the plane takes off is when I like, oh man, cause like 
in my mind, when we go up, I'm going out of that plane. Like if I don't jump, one of these guys is going to throw me out. Like I got in the plane, I'm going out of it. Um, so when the plane takes off is when I feel like I can't back out anymore because of the buddies that I have. Um, but yeah, man, just your heart's pumping. You, I, you know, actually, I do my yoga stuff while the plane's going up and I'm counting, trying to see, like, you know, where the cloud level is. So that way, if I get caught in a cloud, I know that, okay, it's 2,000 feet up, so I still have time below to find my landing and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, right before you, when that door comes up, and you feel the wind just come flying in. You're just like, oh no, like this is about to happen. But it's cool. Like the more you jump, too, it starts to slow down. Like your first few jumps is like boom, 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 done. Okay, we're down. And then by like jump 10, 11, I was like watching my watch to see what altitude I was at, and I was like, oh okay, like I'm still falling. Okay, not there yet, still falling. It really slows down. And once you learn how to fly your body, it's cool. It's so it's just different, man. It's, it's not natural you know i mean humans don't fly right so to be able to fly actually control your body and fly across the sky it's awesome yeah Yeah, that's incredible i've always wanted to do it and i just need to man up and do it but you just gotta go it's uh how many have you had now how many how many jumps right now i'm at 22 solos so still working on it haven't jumped in a while um living up in washington the past like 10 months all winter long and we don't really get a clear sunny day to jump up there so <laughs> yeah. it rains every day up there but yeah i got 22. what were you doing up in washington i was up there guiding working for a climbing gym that's where i was before and where i think i'm going to go back after all this is over with but yeah who, when will that be you know no one knows um yeah i was up there guiding teaching climbing up there hanging out surfing <laughs> cold cold water up there Whew. I bet. Yeah. Went surfing one day um, up on the straight, which is like the very top part of Washington. And it was like 19 degrees outside and 47 in the water. And we're walking through snow to go out to the surf. It was really cool. <laughs> yeah, I went and surfed in that. It was good. Great waves, man. So we went out. But Was it really? Like, what's is there different? Can you tell difference in waves when you're in different spots in the U.S.? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the temperature doesn't affect it too much i mean maybe it does i don't know um i know winter storms push in bigger waves you know again all my surfing is self-taught and reading books and watching videos um but yeah so like what's uh, what's at the bottom of the ocean affects the way the wave is the way it breaks which is why you know north shore like you were talking about is known for having great waves it's because the way the swell pushes in and hits the bottom just right um it's like usually reef bottoms that hit very consistent like that so yeah every wave is different even in the same spot from day to day is different i've seen some videos of got like 50 foot not even bigger than 50 foot waves and they just look like a tiny speck oh yeah and you're just like mother nature take me <laughs> if you fall yeah, i'm not serving that those swells i feel like you'd just be tumbling and tumbling for just yeah, you're down for a minute. If you come off in a big wave, you're, you're going to be under for a second. Most of those guys can hold their breaths for quite a long time. Oh, I bet. But your foot is, your foot is attached to the board, right? Yeah, so some, some people do that um, most of the time. On big waves, I've seen people not attached to the board because the board can just get drugged through, right? Um, 
So some people don't wear leashes for bigger surfing. Some do. It just it all varies. It's kind of what do you want to do? Um, right. Personal preference. Because they're, they're, they're like the thought was, you know, you'll get pulled down, but your board's gonna float, so you can just climb up your leash, um, and that gets you out of the water a little bit quicker. Um, but the last thing you want in the big wave is to get hit by that board. The last thing you want in any wave is to get hit, get hit by a board. Um, mm. So some people don't wear a leash because of that. Yeah. And you, I know that you went, so somewhere in here in this journey of places, you ended up in Hawaii for a little while, right? Yeah, that was the most bizarre, non-planned out. And I don't plan out a lot of stuff, but that was the most non-planned out move in the world. Um, God, where was I? I think I just left Washington for the first time. Maybe 2019. And just didn't know where to go i was like i don't know i don't have a job lined up i'm just kind of traveling for a bit was up in south dakota climbing and then went down to nevada in the outside of las vegas and red rocks was climbing and then a friend of mine was like hey i'm living over in maui you should come over here and try to get a job on the sailboat i'm like okay cool like where would i live she was like i don't know but come on and so i was like okay well i'll apply first and she, she told the company that i had been living on maui for a few months apparently they, they won't hire like from the states because they don't want you just moving over there for the job or whatever like they don't unless you're already there they don't want to hire you right so i call i, I applied for this job then found out that she told them that and so they, they called me like hey like and i was in nashville tennessee actually when they called they're like hey we heard you know we saw your resume it looks awesome we see you've got a lot of experience guiding everywhere doing stuff um also our friend that we know said that you were have been in maui for two months and i was like oh yeah for sure <laughs> absolutely um and they're like, cool. So like, we did an interview process and they're like, hey, so we, we think we like you, but we want to do an in-person interview first before we offer you the job just to make sure like that we really like you, that you really know how to sail. I had no idea how to sail. No clue. I never sailed a day in my life. And I was like, oh yeah, like back in Tennessee, we sail on the, on the lake all the time. Like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. And they're like, okay, cool. Can you come in tomorrow for a job interview in person? And I was like, um, tomorrow? Can it be like late in the evening? And they're like, yeah, sure, that's fine. Like six, 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 six p.m. our time. I was like, yeah, cool, like that works. So I hung up the phone. Like drove down to my parents' house, dropped off my car, grabbed a backpack, went to the bookstore, bought a how to sell book for dummies, and hopped on a flight, and just <laughs> flew to Hawaii. And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna figure it out. I've got another plan. Why the heck not? So I go over there, walk in. I get in there just in time. Read this whole like huge how to sell book for dummies. The whole like eight hour flight over walk into this interview and just crushed it and they offered me the job and so i walk out and i'm like sweet i got a job in hawaii now i gotta figure out like where i'm going where i'm gonna live like i was literally just standing on hawaii with my backpack and was like all right like i guess i have to figure this out now and yeah that was awesome spent a few months over there working on a sailboat um found a little shack just up the up the road maybe a two minute walk from the beach and was just there all the time hanging out surfing working on the boat um yeah it was awesome like diving with turtles every day yeah it was turtle sharks little reef sharks yeah there was i i remember when we were snorkeling one time i was with my mom when we went out there it was the same trip i've only been out there once but i still remember uh snorkeling and seeing a huge turtle i tried to grab onto it (laughs) 
And then we, yeah. saw, we saw a couple of reef sharks down below, puffer fish, and place is magical. Yeah, no, it's awesome for sure. It's it's a different world. And, and honestly, like the vibe over there is definitely like island time's a thing. Like we'll get around to it when we get around to it, but we're not in any hurry. <laughs> like we'll see you when we see you. Like that's how it is. Cause when I got the job, like, yeah, well, you're hired. Like when do you want to start tomorrow? Well, you know, we're not super busy tomorrow. Let's like start you in like three days. Dang it. All right. I kind of need to make some money, but sure. And then like, okay, I want to come see this apartment. Like maybe I'll move in. All right. Well, we're out surfing today. So maybe we'll be able to swing by tomorrow and show it to you. Just like, oh my gosh, like I'm trying to make it happen. But yeah, everyone over there is like, eh, we'll, we'll do it when we do it. <laughs> That's so cool though. I feel like that would be, that had to be an incredible experience. Yeah, it was, it was wild for sure. And my mom was like, this is so cool. You had no plan and you just went over there. I'm like, yeah, sure did. <laughs> like, absolutely. Um, yeah, cool. cool the shack. Like, how'd, how'd you come upon the shack? Um, my brother knew a guy who was over there. Um, and so I reached out to him. He's like, yeah, there's this, like, I don't want to call it a hippie commune, but it's kind of what it was. It was this big property with, like, four houses on it mm-hmm. and, like, 20 people living on it. And I was like, you know what? For 500 bucks a month, I'm never going to be at the house. I'm always going to be out in the ocean surfing or on the sailboat. Like, yeah, sure. Like, so I, I lived there until I figured it out, but then ended up just staying there because it was just easy for me. What was that experience like? I'm sure there were some interesting cats on that place. Yeah, so living there was interesting. Like I said, it was like a little plot of land with four different houses on it. Um, and being in Hawaii, you know, a bunch of different characters, right? So we had, you know, it's, like one house was like really, really fit people who like went out surfing all the time, but really hardcore. And then, you know, it wasn't what in the commune, but it was like a common commune. So you had your one house where like all the hippies hung out, always smoking weed, some kind of drugs, something going on in that house. Um, and just, yeah, just a bunch of different random whole spectrum of people. But, you know, everyone was super nice, kind, but they were cool. I you know cheap to live there because there's so many of us, which is why it was nice. I mean, to have a spot on the beach in Maui in Hawaii for 500 bucks a month, like, right. You know, that, that doesn't happen. Right. The cost of living there is the highest in the U S I think. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely really high over there. Um, but you get paid well and being on the boat, you know, um, taking tourists out, now, uh, what I did over there, I took people um, snorkeling, diving, like, uh, whale watching tours. Um, it was one of the nicer boats on the island. So the people that I worked with came expecting to spend some money, right? So, you know, you make their money over there. And it, it's like, like any place else, you're going to get paid what it costs to live there, really. But right. to find a spot like that for 500 bucks a month and and still make the kind of money was was nice i was considering getting a van over there but just i didn't stay long enough to do it so what was the setup like in the houses was there like a central kitchen and then multiple bedrooms or was it like bunks or yeah so one kitchen like a living space area and then just a bunch of rooms off to the side kind of deal it's interesting too like none of that none of the houses and most of the houses in hawaii they don't have ac um it's honestly 
it kind of feels like you, you got out of the country a little bit. Like, there's no AC in the houses. There's lizards everywhere, man. You get in the shower, and there's, like, probably two or three lizards in there with you. Um, you go to, like, what they have, like, their grocery store. There's chickens walking around. Like, it's a different world, man. It's different over there, but it's, it's super fun. Yeah, absolutely. So what, I mean, what's next? Like, what is next in the life or do you have a plan or is it kind of just we're going? Um, kind of just we're going. And I like to run it like that. That way, whatever that way, if Hawaii calls and wants me to come to an in-person interview, I can just up and go and say, sure, why not? Let's, let's figure it out. Um, I, you know, I have some loose plans. Uh, at some point, I am wanting to um, get a sailboat and live on a boat for a while, get my own, like really learn how to sail and go across the country and that. Uh, or go, go across the world, honestly, in that thing. Um, but I just bought my newest van, big van, doing a full build out on it, solar panels, kitchen, refrigerator on it, everything, the whole nine yards. So I'll probably hang in that van for a couple of years before I sell it, travel in that too. Yeah. So still just sowing, sowing the seed. Yeah. Just traveling learning meeting people making connections trying to figure stuff out um like i said earlier trying to get into free diving a little bit started that when i was in hawaii but then up in washington wasn't much of that going on right so free diving you're just from the top one breath of air down for as long as you can right yeah one breath of air down as long as you can don't pass out <laughs> yeah, i'm sure those breathing techniques that we went over are huge when it comes to that stuff yeah, so there's like a lot of techniques. Uh, it's called breathe up techniques. Things you do before you go down to kind of get your body prepared um, for like for the carbon carbon uh, carbon dioxide buildup and everything. Um, and again, what's different about free diving, like with climbing and surfing, you you can control your breathing, and your breathing is what you use to calm yourself down. But when you're free diving, you can't do that. Like you can't breathe. Like once you're under the water, that's when you're freaking out. You're not only freaking out when you're on top, sitting there hanging out, but it's when you're underwater that you no, no longer can use those breathing techniques to calm yourself down. So the whole different psychological aspect to it as well, which is I'm still working on. <laughs> What's the biggest thing that you've seen as far as living out of the van and, you know, traveling in this idea of wanderlust that you obviously have like been your mindset like what what about it prior like attracted you to to it and what now is keeping you locked in with the idea yeah so like at first you know i again it's just this is kind of what i got to do i don't got nowhere to go van sure you know and I've, I've always been one for just sure well you know go try it and see what happens um but just the simplicity of it, just being able to go where I want to go when I want to go there. And I've got friends who call me too. They're like, man, I wish I could go to the places that you go, but I just can't afford it. I'm like, I don't know what you think I do. I don't, I don't make a hundred million dollars. Like I don't make a lot of money. Like, these people make triple what I make. Right. But I get to do that because I don't have an apartment. I get to do that because I don't need you know, a new outfit every other weekend, right? Like I don't go out on Friday nights and party. Oh, sometimes, but <laughs> like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't spend that kind of money like that. Um, 
and just the simplicity of it and being able to see all the places and go everywhere and and meeting people because like and I, I don't know you might be able to re relate to this but i grew up down in the southeast where it's very strict conservative you know bible belt everyone kind of thought the same way right there was no different way of thinking or you weren't there really like it was, it was all very similar so that is really attractive to me B meeting people who have a different thought process a different opinion and not just like oh that's their opinion they're wrong but actually listening to people you know this is what happened to me this is why i think this and trying to you know understand like there's there's more than one way to do things right and if we all did it the same way which is kind of the way back south it's not as exciting it's not it's kind of boring it's just oh, okay cool like yeah you and everybody else does that too cool i don't know um just a different mindset of it and and the freedom that it allows is amazing yeah absolutely that freedom is just i feel like that's so enticing for a lot of people but kudos to you for actually doing it you know it, it almost seems like you were kind of thrust into this situation and then you just took it and run with it because you found something you were passionate about yeah. but a lot of times people would love to do what you're doing now but they just don't take that step off the ledge you know right and then, yeah i mean that's the i've had a lot of friends ask me oh I want, i've always wanted to do this how do you start well you start by doing it like and that's the thing too like i didn't like how did you like, how did you figure it all out how did you have it all planned out before oh i didn't like, <laughs> i'm in it for five years and i still don't have it all figured out like you just kind of if it's, if it's what you really want you just got to go do it like that's all there is to it you know <laughs> like, there's not this over everyone that started something started from exactly where you are like they didn't have this background of you know, oh, guitar, for example, you don't pick up a guitar and you just can be able to play like, you know, Jimi Hendrix. No, that Jimi Hendrix one day picked up a guitar and was like, what is this thing and how do I play it? Right. He'd practice and practice and practice and he was passionate. Then, you know, things happen. But that, that initial step off the deep, like, how do I plan for this? How do I, you can't plan for everything. Like yeah. you're never going to be able to plan for everything, no matter how hard you try. Right. No. And even now, like five years into, I'm still running into challenges. Like, cause I've, you know, especially now with the quarantine, I've always had somewhere to go shower at the gym, you know, easy state parks, go park there. But now you can't be in state parks. You can't go to certain places. Public restrooms in Oregon got closed down for a minute and that got interesting. I couldn't have nowhere to go to the bathroom for a hot second. So that was like, all right, cool. <laughs> cool. Um, so yeah, you just, there's no way to plan for it. And like, like everything, you're probably going to suck at it at first. Like I didn't get good at climbing just one day. I, I was pretty terrible at it when I first started, but I loved it, but I absolutely loved it. And so, I mean, same with, I mean, very, if you're a great off the couch at anything, you know, good, good for you. Awesome. That's sick. But personally, when you suck at it and you have to really, really work for it, I think is when that's when you can really appreciate it. Right. You really appreciate what you have because you work so freaking hard for it. Right. It's a lot more rewarding than something, yeah. you know, handed to you. Right. For sure. So where can everybody find you if they want to find you on social media? 
if they want to check out your Instagram is awesome. I just was checking it out before the show. It's yeah. got some cool pictures on there. Yeah. So it's just uh Clint underscore Sanderson is on Instagram. I'm not, I'm honestly, I'm not on it much. I used to be on it quite a lot, but lately I've been lacking. Um, need to pick back up on that, but that's the thing too is, I just forget sometimes I've got a million photos that I've taken and just too busy doing something else to sit on my phone and post the picture real quick. And that's, so, that is not a bad problem to have. No, no, it's not really not. Absolutely not. I, I, for a while I kind of made it a, a thing of mine. Like when I woke, when I, I had the, had like a morning routine and one time I, I caught myself like every morning, the first thing I did is I grabbed my phone. It's like I, for a while I had like a, you know, don't touch my phone for at least first three hours of the day. And then I can go get it. And that's kind of what like kicked me off Instagram a little bit. But yeah, I'm on Instagram there. I have a Facebook. I don't know if I've touched that in four years though. <laughs> so if you want to find me on that, you totally can. Um what, that, yeah. So. Question I like to ask everybody is what is your definition of success? I think my definition of success, and again, that's very different for everyone. If you ask even my family, I'm not very successful because um, I, I don't have much, right? I got enough to fit in a van, even less than that. But for me, it's just it's being happy and content with who you are and where you are. And it's that simple. It is not for, for, for me. And, you know, this is different for everyone. But for me, it's just it's just all it is. If you're not happy with where you are and what you're doing, then you're not very successful. I don't, I don't think. Yeah. You know, someone might disagree with me, but I think if you've got the biggest house and all the money and you're unhappy, uh, I mean, I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't call that a win. Right. Absolutely. And that's why I always ask because I think it varies so much, you know, it's not, right. not always about, material things for some people, or maybe it is, or maybe it's not about, you know, uh, the big house or how, what you can go travel and see, or it just depends and it varies. And I think that what you said is good because it makes it, it makes it unique to each person by saying you're happy. Are you happy doing this? And are you comfortable in your own skin? And that's, I think that's, that's a good way to put it for sure. Well, Clint, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been awesome. And I know a lot of people are going to really enjoy this episode. There's some great stories and stuff in there. So really appreciate you coming on and glad everything's going good. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it.